whatever it is, whatever idea I get passionate about or fired up about, you know, I'll ask the right people to help me and, and I'll, I'll do it. I'll, I'll make it happen. So I don't know. I, I give travel all the credit for that mindset of just like when you, when you put your mind to it, you go for it and you make it happen and you trust yourself and you'll land on your feet. And that definitely comes from, from just getting lost in the world. Welcome to the Juxtapose Journeys Podcast, and happy National Love a Tree Day. I'm your host, Eric Spitz, and in this episode I chat with Travis King. Travis had a fairly normal upbringing growing up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and then decided to venture out to South America after obtaining his master's degree at 28. Four years and four continents later, Travis had a wide mix of experiences that became part of his book, Not That Anyone Asked, a travel memoir about sex, drugs, love, and finding purpose. In addition to the memoir, Travis stays busy writing blog posts, working on land development projects where he currently lives on the Oaxacan coast in Mexico, being half a sprawl consulting, playing music and hosting local events and open mic night at Punta Origin, and even organizing a plastic recycling program in Puerto Escondido. I want to give a quick shout out to Walt at Walt's Kitchen Table, who got Travis and I connected to begin with. So make sure to check out Walt's podcast after giving this episode a listen. Travis and I's conversation ranges from what inspired him to leave the country after obtaining his master's degree, to the wild experiences Travis had in those four years, and all the work he does with the land development projects and trying to clean up our planet. Believe me when I say that Travis has some incredible stories and is doing some very important work for the environment. So make sure to check out the links in the show notes to stay updated on everything Travis is doing, and maybe even pick up a copy of Not That Anyone Asked to get the full story on some of the experiences Travis had while out exploring the world. With all that in mind, just sit back, relax, and get ready for Travis King's journey as an author, explorer, and plastic fighter. All right, so Travis, welcome to the Juxtaposed Journeys podcast. First of all, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to sit down and chat with me today. Thanks, Eric. No, it's, it's a pleasure, man. For sure, for sure. And gosh, there are so many interesting things that you do that I would love to talk about. But <laughs> in short, your website summarizes you as an author, musician, explorer, plastic fighter, and pal, which I think is a pretty accurate depiction after doing some research <laughs> on you. So, <laughs> But I want to start with the writing aspect of your life and the creation of your memoir. Not that anyone asked, a travel memoir about sex, drugs, love, and finding purpose, where you talk about your experience of chasing different versions of success over four years and four continents. So you get your master's degree at 28 and soon after take mm-hmm. off for South America to start a new adventure. What initially gravitated you to South America to make that change in your life? Man, it's a good question. So yeah, let me, I'll give you a wandering answer. Basically, okay. <laughs> I, did, I, did that, uh, I did that grad degree from 26 to 28 and it was a degree in nonprofit management. And essentially my whole like early part of my career, all through my 20s, I, I worked with disadvantaged youth running after school programs. I ran a group home in New Orleans for a couple of years and- just kind of thought that that was like my, my thing. That was my calling. I liked working with kids. I have, you know, still have a pretty youthful energy and I just got on well, you know, in all these settings of, you know, trying to, trying to hang out and, and improve kids' lives and give them a, a better future or whatever. And I, and I just thought that's what I would do forever. So I did the degree in nonprofit management. And then I had this thought sort of towards the end of that degree, you know, I was 28, about to be 30. And I had this thought of like, I've made every decision in my whole life up to this point for my resume, like for this piece of paper, essentially. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, what point am I ever going to make a decision that's like just for me? That's, you know, almost selfish in a way, like just for my life, for like this one chance I get at life. And so that's sort of what pushed me that, that thought that I, when I first had it, it just like, 
planted a little seed in my brain and, and, and it just kept growing and growing and I couldn't really shake it. So then when grad school finished, I just booked a one-way flight. I actually luckily had a free round trip flight from Spirit Airlines because they bumped me off of uh, – <laughs> Off an earlier flight to New York or whatever, you know, classic Spirit Airlines. And uh, (laughs) (laughs) so, but it was actually really nice to just have that in my back pocket because it made making that choice to go somewhere far, you know, a little bit easier. I just didn't have to spend any money on that first flight. So I basically looked at Spirit's Airlines routes at that time. And the farthest they flew at that time was to Aruba, which if you know where the island of Aruba is, it's basically like right above South America. Like it looks like you could throw a rock from Aruba to South America on a map. They're very close. So I just took the flight into Aruba and that's sort of how that journey started. And then, uh, you know, I only spent about a week in Aruba and, and a week later I was in the north coast of Colombia. And that's kind of where the book begins and the adventure begins. But <laughs> yeah, it was really just this thought of like, I don't know, I, I keep just chasing like a better career, like trying to appease and, and get all the baby boomers to be proud of me or whatever, you know. Um, <laughs> and at some point I was like, am I just going to be trying to make the baby boomers proud till I'm like 50? Like, what am I doing? Like, like I got I to gotta <laughs> make a choice for myself, you know? So that, that's kind of where the impetus for, for making a big change and shaking up my life started. But honestly, even then I thought it was going to be like a four or five month trip and I would return to the States and I would look for a nice job in the nonprofit sector and become, you know, with my new degree, I'd become the director of some, of some youth organization or whatever. And that's definitely what I thought was going to happen when I first started that trip. But now talking to you, I'm actually back in Wisconsin. I'm home for a wedding, but uh, I've been 10 (laughs) years gone more or less. And and my life is just taking a totally different, totally different turn than than anybody would have expected, including myself. (laughs) No, for sure. No, I I love that story so much, though. And man, just the commitment that comes with, you know, at the time having like a one way ticket type thing. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, you have that backup plan and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. With the spirit bump. But (laughs) no, that's that's amazing, though. I love that story. Yeah, I was actually listening to your interview on Walt's Kitchen Table, and mm-hmm. I remember you mentioning on there, too, that before, shortly before this trip happened, you were, like, telling everybody about it. Like, you, you're telling, like, everybody at the bar yeah. that, you're, like, you're going to South America and stuff like that to kind of, like, force you into that situation a little bit. And I, I love that, too, because uh-huh. I feel like I take that tactic uh, in my life a little bit, too. <laughs> Yeah, I, I know some people who are like, you know, like right now I'm starting a project in, in Puerto Escondido where I live in Mexico. We're going to build a co-living, co-working. And I know some people who are like, you're kind of like, don't tell anybody, man, they're going to steal your ideas. And I'm like, <laughs> no, I don't know. To me, it's like, this is how I manifest things into reality. Like I just talk about it until it becomes a thing because I, I like putting myself in a position where I'm either going to be all talk or I'm going to make the thing happen. And so far, I have you know a pretty good batting average. I basically make all these <laughs> things happen that I've been talking about. Like even, even when it came to writing my book, I just started telling people I was going to write a book about my travels eventually once, once I really had that, like, that determination and I knew I was going to be stubborn and get it done. That was sort mm-hmm. of how I convinced myself to keep going with the book. It's like, man, I've told too many people that I'm going to write this book. Now, <laughs> now, now who am I if I don't actually follow through and finish it, you know? So I, I do think it's a really effective kind of just, I don't know, like way to trick yourself into, into doing things that you might be a little scared to do um, mm-hmm. or that you really want to do, but that feel like kind of far off or like a big project or a bit scary. Because yeah, like international travel was a bit scary to me. And then I just started telling people I wanted to. And then I kind of felt like I had to. Writing a book was a bit scary to me. Same thing. This mm-hmm. project of, you know, like buying land in Mexico and raising money and trying to build something something really special, you know, hopefully really well known, maybe world famous someday, you know, who knows? But um, like we're in that phase right now where I'm just talking about it because like, you know, it is still, we have the <laughs> land, we have, we have some of the beginnings of the project, but it's still, it doesn't exist yet, you know? So I'm just going to keep trying to, trying to bring it up and, and tell people about it and just pursue it, you know, as doggedly as I can until it's a real thing. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, 
for me personally, like I'm trying to run a marathon in all 50 states. So it, it kind of oh, cool. started as I would just tell a few people about it. And then it just kind of became part of my identity. I'd make posts about it and stuff. And then I'm cool. like, man, that's kind of like, you know, like it's really forcing me into it and stuff. And, and not that I, I plan on backing down from it or anything, but it, I feel like much more solidified in it. And like, like you said, just kind of manifesting it by just talking about it and putting it out there more. But And actually, yeah, uh, it works. It works for me. Yeah, for sure. And I don't know if you've ever read To Shake the Sleeping Self by Jedediah Jenkins. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I love that book. But yeah, no, that story really reminded me of that too. Cause I remember he did something really similar on his journey too, to where he was telling mm-hmm. everybody once he hit 30, he's going to ride a bike from Oregon yep. to Patagonia and kind of like forced himself into it. He took that leap, even though he felt like he wasn't truly ready. Like he told himself he was going to learn Spanish and he <laughs> uh, didn't fully learn the language or, you know, like kind of haphazardly went through the motions with it. But yeah, but still ended up yeah. taking that plunge anyway. And yeah, no, it's a great book. But I, I just really thought of that parallel when I I heard your story and had a and how you had a really similar experience in that regard. But <laughs> for sure. And honestly, anybody out, out there listening, if you have read the Sh- To Shake the Sleeping Self and you haven't read my book, uh, I swear, read my book. If you, if you like that book, you'll, <laughs> oh, you'll yeah. love my book too. Because they, they, we are very, I think we're very like kindred authors and I've mm-hmm. actually written him several emails to which he has not yet responded, even though he claims <laughs> on his website that he'll respond. He, he, he does not. So Jedediah, if you're listening to this, uh, I don't know, either take that off your website or respond to, your, or respond to the people who email you because you're, you're not doing the thing you say you're going to do. So go on. Um, no, but I, I always thought that like, man, if I could just get like, because right now my book's doing pretty well as a self-published book. I think everybody mm-hmm. that reads it is like, holy shit, this is one of my favorite books. It's got a five-star rating. But like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not a famous author yet. So I'm still in that like nebulous in-between zone of like having written something that I think is really special and really connects to people when they when they do take the five, six hours to read it. But like, mm-hmm. I just need one person like Jedediah Jenkins to be like, holy shit, read this book, everybody. It's really good. <laughs> and uh, I'm just kind of waiting for that. And like, you know, I, I've emailed a couple of people like him who I think might be that person for me, but it's not Jed. <laughs> Sadly, it's not. <laughs> no, for he's, sure. He's ignoring me, you know, just ignoring <laughs> me. <laughs> yeah. No, definitely. I And I admittedly have not read your memoir yet. Um, I'm really interested in it, honestly. Like after reading yeah. kind of the, the description about you and, and after falling in love with To Shake the Sleeping Self, I know it's it'd be something I'd really gravitate towards in love, but I, uh, yeah. I did dig through your blog posts and <laughs> I nice. checked out your latest entry, Eight Ways to Say I'm American While Traveling Without Saying I'm American. And that really yeah. caught my attention. I, I love your writing style, honestly. And like I, I could tell, you know, your memoir is something I'm really going to get sucked up into as well. But For sure. no, that, that's a it's a great article, though, that points out the subtle things Americans do that come off as foreign while out in other countries. So I guess with that in mind, have you ever experienced distinct moments of culture shock while out traveling? Honestly, now the mo- I get it so strongly when I come back to the States just because I've been gone hmm. for so long. So like, you mm-hmm. know, in the last 24 hours, I've been back in the States and there's just a number of things that make me feel like, uh, like, I honestly, I, I have these interactions where I'm just like trying to get like a slice of pizza and some guy will be like, oh, just do the thing, man. And I'm like, I don't know. What do I show up my face or do I wave at it? Like, I just like don't understand like how to buy stuff sometimes when I'm back in the States because I'm paying for things in pesos where I live. And I don't know, like, you know, we have, we obviously use credit cards and that kind of thing, but there's all these like high tech, like, you know, even, even every time I feel like I come back and use an ATM, it's like new ATM technology that I can't quite understand for a minute. But I don't know. So yeah, right now the, the biggest kind of culture shock is this, is the reverse culture shock of having the place that you grew up start to feel a little bit more and more foreign as years pass. And now, now it really does just kind of feel not like home or, I mean, you know, it feels like the place I grew up and I can relate to it. And, you know, it's still all the sports teams I love and whatever. Mm-hmm. It does feel just, yeah, like a little bit different and, and not my place anymore. So that's a bit of a strange one. Other than that, man, like, I don't know. I've, I've had some 
crazy stories of just like doing things in other countries where you're like, I can't believe I'm I'm fucking doing this. You know, like that feeling. <laughs> like on my 33rd birthday, I was in uh, Vietnam and we went to this place that's famous for serving snake. And it's actually like a traditional thing in this part. It's like north of uh, Hanoi and in, in this village north of Hanoi, they've kind of like always caught and eaten snakes because it was just a protein source that they've had for, you know, hundreds of years. And mm-hmm. so there's still a restaurant that sort of does that, honors that tradition. It was my birthday. I'm with two buddies and this guy, you know, he's got a little menu of like three snakes and he's basically like, which snake do you want? And I'm like, I don't know, let's get the cheapest snake because even the cheapest snake wasn't wasn't that cheap. <laughs> but my buddies were like, how often are we going to eat snake, bro? Like, let's just get this cobra. So like, we we got like the hundred dollar cobra. Was, you know, we shared that three ways or whatever. But they came out and they and they serve it to you in like eight different ways, and it's really like a huge feast made out of the snake. But at the beginning, like when they when they first kill the snake, they basically just like took it, like they showed it to us. They took it around our table. They put it in like the snake pit, and this old man like grabbed it by the head and then just kind of like chopped his head off with the big scissors, and then <laughs> proceeded to like open up his his like where his heart was because they've done this mm-hmm. a, a few times before so they know exactly what they're doing but they opened up his <laughs> his like you know stomach part where his heart was pulled out his heart cut that off with the scissors into a shot glass that had some like li- like clear like vodka looking booze in it but you could see the heart was still like pumping it was still like beating and the guy was like birthday boy like this is for you and so I like drank the still beating heart of a King Cobra <laughs> and I, I could like feel it, you know, like still moving like as I was swallowing it. It was a very gross, like wild experience. And then we had to drink like snake's blood and snake's bile. It was like neon green. But that night was just, well, I don't know, you know, like I've had, I've had a number of nights or, or moments where I'm just like, what is going on? Like, what is happening here? Um, which I think is like why travel is magical. You know, it's like constantly pushing your, you out of your comfort zone. And uh, I think, you know, this in, in year 2022 where we are now, like I think too many people just like fucking backstroke around in their comfort zone and don't really ever try to get themselves out of it. And, and that's mm-hmm. kind of I think why people are more sad, you know, or, or like more isolated feeling or more like, I don't know, just like bored. Than, mm-hmm. than they than they could be if they if they kept trying to find something new that made them feel more alive. Oh, for sure. Gosh, so much good content there. Oh my gosh. Uh, no, I, when you mentioned about the the still beating heart of the cobra, all it made me think about is I, I believe it was in Anthony Bourdain's book A Cook's Tour, to where he talked about that same experience to where he went through that. I believe it was also in Vietnam too, to where he he, he had that same meal same. experience. Oh, it's that's insane. I can't even wrap my head around that. Like I. <laughs> I, I try to be as adventurous as I can when I travel and, you know, engulf myself within the culture. And like, I'm a vegetarian 90% of the time now, but mm-hmm. I've recently been flexible with that depending on the cultural situations. Cause obviously like I want to get the most out of the cultural experiences I possibly can and really, I guess, engulf myself in that environment. But geez, and I thought I was adventurous by wanting to try haggis <laughs> when I go to Scotland, but <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, there's a lot of stuff out there. And actually, question: as as a vegetarian, or say say you know you you identify vegetarian, mm-hmm. would would that mean you can eat bugs? Like, because in Mexico, you know, like my dad came finally left the country for the first time in like 30 years, and we got mm-hmm. him to eat crickets at, at lunch with us one day. But you know, he obviously found it like so crazy. He's like, "Why would I eat these crickets?" And we were like, "Just do it, man. You're you're in Mexico. Like, come on, like make a memory. You know, basically, like we pushed him to do it. Right. And he did it, and he admitted they weren't that bad. But I was just thinking, like, does that does that qualify as as meat, or is that no man's That's land. a really good question. Um, <laughs> because I mean, I still eat like I still eat eggs and things like that. So like, um, yeah, you know, I'm just, just vegetarian, not a hundred percent vegan. And You're um, not hardcore yeah, vegan, it's yeah. It, no, I, I I I try to be vegan when I can, but it's mm-hmm. also like I really love cheese, and I haven't found like a good yeah. substitute necessarily. So like, but no, to, to answer your original question though, like I. I think ultimately why I became a vegetarian, like I'm a huge animal lover 
you know, whether it's it's just, you know, cows or just insects or something like that. Like, so in my head, I would still count that. But at the same time, like going back to my original kind of rule of in cultural, different cultural situations, how I would kind of bend and break that rule a little bit. Like, I think I would in that situation, just because I think the adventurous side would take over and be like, you know, I, I'm really curious about this and I really want to give this a try. So, uh, yeah, I think I would bend the rules in that situation and um, try some bugs. <laughs> yeah, that's actually. I, I think. Yeah, I think you could justify it if you're a vegetarian. Or it's, it's yeah. It's, it's I, like I get, what do they yeah. call like uh like shrimp? They call like the cockroaches of the sea. Like so, mm-hmm. what are you know the cockroaches <laughs> of the land are are cockroaches? <laughs> you know, I think it's okay. No, exactly. I, I get. And I guess I'm manifesting it now because I'm saying it, putting it out in the airwaves that I would eat bugs. So uh, I, I'm. <laughs> forcing myself in that situation for whatever were to come up but anyway i I guess in addition somebody offer eric some bugs (laughs) exactly i gotta do it now but (laughs) oh man but i guess in addition to you know drinking the still beating heart of a cobra uh in those four years of traveling were there any other moments that really stood out to you during that experience and i'm sure you probably talk about extensively in your memoir but are there any moments that like stand out to you what kind of stories can we get into here? We we didn't really quite cover this in our in our, in our pre-recording chat. Anything goes, or uh, yeah, any anything goes. Uh, yeah, whatever you want. All right. So, I mean, basically, I, I would say like you know, throughout the whole four years, like every time you change countries, every time you, every time you cross a border, you're like putting yourself into new situations, and it constantly is like interesting and and keeping you out of your comfort zone. But really, mm. I think that first like month or the first couple months when you are are on a big international adventure on a one-way flight with no plan of return, no no real strict timeline. That first month is like such an awakening. So really the first month for me that was just so interesting and I have so many memories from was Colombia. Was just heading south through Colombia. And one of the best stories in the book, one of the one of the things that I think before I even started writing it that I was like, man, yeah, I could write a book was uh <laughs> was this story where I, I met a guy who told us about this tour that you can do in a place in southern Colombia where you can make your own cocaine. And it was like with mm-hmm. one of Pablo Escobar's former scientists and <laughs> we were like, Okay, man, like I get maybe you can do that. Like, are you sure? And 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 he gave us these like super vague directions. He was like, go to this town, wait in the town square. Every, you know, every, every, every even little town in Latin America has like a Zocalo or like, a, like a little town square where the people gather. So he's like, go there, wait for a guy to offer you a horse tour. He's a short guy with a baseball cap on, a little chubby guy. Wait for him to offer you a horse tour. You ask him, does he have a special tour? That's how you start the transaction. So I did that. We were with like, I was with three friends. We, we were like waiting around for like an hour in this town square. And then finally we had this little, this little chubby guy with a baseball cap came up and was like, horse tour? And we were like, uh-oh. And so we... <laughs> you know, that's how it started. And we negotiated a price. He picked us up and took us to his house, which is where the tour happened. And yeah, we went from, it was just like a huge basin of like just coca leaves, like cut straight off the branch. And we went through the whole process of turning that into into the substance that got Pablo dead in the end, but made him a million dollars, millions of dollars in the meantime. And, uh, you know, is one of the, you know, biggest illegal drugs in the world. But it was, it was a, it was just a really crazy experience. Cause you know, it, it is you know, like people associate cocaine with Colombia because of Pablo, because it is, you know, a drug that, that a lot of it comes from there. Um, and mm. it is just like pretty prevalent there. Like if you're just a p- traveler in Colombia, it's like basically anybody selling gum on the street. Like you'll see guys walking around saying like chicle, 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 but like they all sell cocaine for the most part. So it is, it is pretty prevalent in Colombia and it, it's part of like the party culture there. So I was <laughs> indulging a little bit and I had never really had a past like with 
like any cocaine use or anything growing up in the mm-hmm. States, you know, like I like smoked the weed and drink the whiskey. That's like, you know, what, what is available <laughs> in Wisconsin and available in New Orleans and available where, where I'd been living in the States. <laughs> so right. in Colombia, I was like, yeah, it's, I kind of just took like the win in Rome mentality. And I was like, all right, that's whatever it does here. Like, let's, let's go for it. And then, you know, towards the end of that month in Colombia, that's when I did this tour. And I was like, I guess I would like to know where it came from. You know, like I'm shoving it up my nose. So like, let's figure out like what's in it. And uh, yeah, that story was definitely one of those where I was like, I am not in Wisconsin anymore. Like this is something else, man. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, it was a great, like, it was a great night and like a pretty epic thing to figure out and go through. And, and yeah, I, kn- I knew that, like, I knew after that happened, I was like, this will forever be one of my best life stories. Like, I just kind of knew that, you know? <laughs> God, I, I know. I, I can't even imagine. Like, I, I, I kind of was reading the brief summary of your memoir, and, and that really piqued my curiosity, too. So I'm, I'm really excited to dive into the, the full story of that. But I'm just, now that you mentioned, I'm just imagining someone who's actually looking for a horse tour and then getting way more than they bargained for. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, to be honest, to be fair, I think the guy does do horse tours, too. And then it's like this, oh, the he? only way that you can kind of do this tour is like by word of mouth. Yeah, because okay. he had a binder that he, that he had with him. And the first like three quarters of the binder was like tour on horses and he started showing okay. us those pictures and that's when I interrupted and I was like actually is there a horse tour or is there a special tour and the back of the oh, binder okay. he had like four photos of like this illegal special tour and he had this other <laughs> second book that's like a tiny book that every single person who's done this tour with him is signed and so he was like, who told you okay. about the tour? And we, and we found our buddy's name in this little smaller book. So yeah, like you can, you can read okay. the extensive, like the, the full long version in, <laughs> okay. in my memoir, but it, yeah, it was crazy, man. It was, it was wild. That, that makes a lot more sense. I mean, to, to, <laughs> yeah. and, and yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure he vets people out that way and, and can feel out different people like, okay, this person's actually looking for a horse tour. They're not looking for the special yeah, yeah. horse tour. <laughs> you know? so. Like some like suburban mom with their daughter. Like, you guys want to, you guys want to. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's what are we hilarious. getting into? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. Now, and I know you mentioned it briefly before. So originally, you know, when you set out for South America, originally in your head, you were only going to be gone like five months or so. So I guess with that in yeah. mind, was there any moments of doubt while you were out there traveling to where you were just thinking, should I just return back to the States and just get a corporate job? Or uh, did you ever have any of those thoughts in your head while you were out traveling? Yeah. I mean, like, so th- that first trip was about is about four months. I remember I left in like mm-hmm. the beginning of September, and I had the plan of just coming home and seeing my family for Christmas. And I actually just kept that. I've kept that routine up now for almost ten years. O- outside of that first mm-hmm. pandemic Christmas, I-, I skipped that when I stayed in Mexico for it. But I- I've always just come mm-hmm. home around the holidays to reconnect with my family, give everybody hugs, make sure they know that I'm still the same me and I'm all good. And yeah. I've you know basically traveled the rest of the year. But like that first trip, like I remember on my way home, like on the flight back for the holidays. I was like, uh, this isn't done. Nope. And I just like knew, I knew that basically, you know, my original thought of I would do this trip, come home and then look for a job and just kind of settle back into like nonprofit life. I knew then that like, no, I wasn't, I wasn't ready for that. I, I just started to like sow these wild oats and they weren't sowed, whatever the expression means. My, my oats were not <laughs> sowed. And I was like, I got more oats that I need sowing. So I basically like when I got home, I booked a flight into Mexico, like almost like, you know, two days or something after I got home. And I told my family, I was like, hey, guys, I booked another flight out of the country. Like, I- I'm not done yet or whatever. And they-, they kind of all just accepted it. And I think they thought it was going to be just a few more months and I would get home. Like, little did they know it'd be 10 years. The tension that I kind of try to build throughout the-, the book, which covers my first four years of traveling, is basically like, yeah, my my dad specifically just writing me emails monthly that are like, so what are you doing with your life? What do you, what do you want to do with your life? Are you ever going to use your master's degree? Like what's going on here, man? (laughs) 
and him just kind of like yeah like questioning my life direction and and wanting me to live up to the version of life that he expected me to live you know what i mean and i think that's kind of the battle that we've had back and forth he's he's at peace now i'm happy to report he's pretty proud of his son the world traveler he thinks this new journey i'm on in puerto escondido is pretty 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 amazing and, and full of potential so he's he's mm-hmm. you know on it we're on a better page now but like i get it you know from his perspective it's like my older brother went to harvard he was a heart you know lawyer went to harvard he's like a very successful older brother about the most successful most intelligent intelligent older brother you could have and then meanwhile like your younger son is just like bopping around barefoot in bolivia like you don't necessarily <laughs> want to talk about that at a dinner party you know it's not like something you feel proud of especially when you had this vision of like you know he got a master's degree he's really he's really a bright guy like he what is he doing he should be using his master's degree so i think he really struggled with just yeah like that that i had taken such a different like alternative life path than he had he had sort of envisioned in his own mind for me so we, mm-hmm. we struggle with that so that, that's part of the tension that i try to build through the book but then the other tension too is honestly just like financially like I, I had some money from a grandma that had passed away i worked pretty hard all through grad school before i left for that first trip to save up as much money as i could i think i started with something like a seven thousand dollar like purse you know to, to begin this mm-hmm. whole adventure and so then like you know pretty quickly i started having to like figure out ways to make the money stretch like working some places that i stayed volunteering as often as i could the second continent in the book is north america because part of that takes place in alaska part of it takes place in hawaii both places that i could work legally as an american and then the third mm-hmm. continent is actually australia because i was still under the age of 31 i guess for anybody out there listening that's curious about how to do some of this, these adventures before you turn 31 you can apply for a year-long work visa which basically you have to pay some money for the visa but once you get it you can show up in australia and you can just work like any other australian can work there so you can get a job at a restaurant or doing tours or whatever you want to do so that's kind of why i went to australia then so basically like a lot of my journey was just like checking my bank account holding my breath and just like hoping that i could continue to travel and continue to like make this adventure go one of the better stories in the whole book too is I, I overstayed my visa in Australia because I ended up having such great jobs there and such good relationships with all of my bosses. And I was mm-hmm. a kayak guy chasing dolphins. I was uh, a host at a hostel that like was putting on crazy fun events every night for travelers and backpackers. And I was like the drunk guy on the microphone who got to lead all these events. It was super fun. <laughs> and then I was also a waiter at a really well-known cafe where some of the best musicians that I've ever seen play were playing like the Friday and Saturday night weekly gigs. If you know Ziggy Alberts, he was playing every Friday at this cafe the whole time I worked there. And like now he's really famous. So like there, there mm-hmm. were, it was just I had really cool jobs, basically. So when my visa ran out, I, I just kind of illegally went back as a tourist and still worked. And all three of my bosses were happy to just pay me cash sort of under the table. Mm-hmm. But eventually I got booted. I, and you can read that whole story in the book. I, you know, I basically I left to Thailand for a week to see a good friend of mine. And when I tried to get back into Australia, they instead threw me in jail and then put me on a flight back to Asia. So that that was a pretty hectic couple of days in my life and not something I'd recommend, but uh, it does make for a pretty damn good story. You know, you can, you can read the whole thing. Then basically after that, the fourth continent in the book is Southeast Asia. So I, I ended up in Southeast Asia with the money that I was able to make in Australia. And it was kind of back to that same, like, what do I do now? How do I make this money stretch? I was just volunteering every place I could and like, trying to just make, you know, I think I ended up there with like $5,000, just trying to make it last as long as I possibly could. <laughs> but really that is the time in, in my travels more than any other where I was like, man, like if I don't find something, like I'm over the age of 31 now. So all of these work exchange visa programs don't really apply to me anymore. I don't really know what I'm doing over here in Southeast Asia besides trying to like have an adventure and make this money stretch. So there I really did have this like image of showing up back in the suburbs of Milwaukee on my parents' couch and just like, you know, Googling on monster.com, like jobs, kids (laughs) jobs or whatever, like, you know, back to just like square one. (laughs) 
like this whole four years was just like a weird long vacation that I had to like explain away or whatever on my resume. <laughs> so I, I was really nervous at that point, but, but I started basically applying to travel jobs. So I won't mm-hmm. give away the end of the book, but yeah. that's kind of how I was able to extend my travels for, for the next, all the years basically leading up to the pandemic. And uh, yeah, get, getting a job in the travel industry was like the most amazing thing ever because both of those tensions that, that were building for me the whole time, like my relationship with my dad and him questioning my life choices. And then also my financial, like, you know, just tightrope walking, they were both solved by that. It's like I was able to go home for that Christmas and be like, look, I got a real job for like a super promising upstart travel company that's amazing. And like, I also like have money now. And like, I have something to tell my family. I have money. Like, so I remember going home for for those holidays, just like on cloud nine, like that I had something to tell them. All the previous holidays, I'd come home and they were like, so you're finally done with this traveling now, right? And I was like, nah, I think... I think I want to go like over here now or like over to Australia or whatever. You know, I was just like, no, I'm not, I'm not done. But that year I kind of, I, you know, I felt like, so it just felt like it all led to something. And I, I kept feeling like this has to be leading to something, right? Like there has to be some end to this. That's not just like, nope, it was a weird long trip. So I don't know. It was, it was such a nice feeling and it really felt like meant to be when, when I finally got that job and everything worked out. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so much good stuff there for sure. And yeah, I mean, you're you're really uh, selling your book there and, and just really making me itching to read it. And, and I'm sure everyone listening is just itching to read it at this point. So yeah, I won't uh, I won't book, have baby. you give away any of the endings book. or anything like that. So I'll uh, <laughs> I'll let the I'll let the listeners pick up your book and uh, I guess uh, fill the gaps in themselves. But um, I wanted to pivot for a moment to the the plastic fighter aspect of you since we just had Earth Day not too long ago, and I saw yeah. on your Instagram that. At a recent two-day event, you were able to collect 560 pounds of rubbish from the surrounding beach and community and raise over 2,200 pesos for the Sustainability Fund. Can you talk a little bit about the plastic recycling programs you're involved in and the type of work you're doing in Puerto Escondido? Yeah, man. So it's something that um, I've been working on now for about a year, but it's really sort of ramped up in the last couple of months. So yeah, Puerto, like the main thing, the main way that people sort of communicate in, in Puerto is on these big WhatsApp chats. I think it's kind of common for a lot of like expat communities all over the world where, you know, there's Facebook groups and WhatsApp chats. And basically in, in these WhatsApp chats, people always, I don't know, just like put a lot of like discontent into them or like, you know, just like this is bad and this is bad. And I just one, one day, I just got really frustrated about like people just like whinging into this virtual space without ever taking action. And I was like, man, I just really don't want to be somebody that like complains and doesn't do anything. And that was kind of like my impetus internally <laughs> to do something. So I guess anybody out there listening, like if you're complaining about something and you're not doing much about it, like maybe switch your mode, like start mm-hmm. doing stuff about it and complaining less, you know, like I think just be a <laughs> be person of action because there's enough, there's too many platforms where people can just like bitch into the internet or bitch into the like you know the the ether mm-hmm. and, and it doesn't do anything it doesn't help it just makes the, you know all the all the 200 people that are reading your message feel a little tense for a moment so right. i don't know just be 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 mindful of that everybody out there and so like that was kind of my my the thing that that shot me to like into action and then i basically just tried to meet with people like i met with my local delegate back then his name was misa and, and he had some ideas of stuff that he wanted to do before his term as delega- delegado in our municipality of la punta before that time ran out and i was like well let me know how i can help you man because i was also really aware of like i didn't want to be like mr white savior showing up in this Mexican town and being like, you know what you guys need to do? Like, I, I just really <laughs> didn't want to be that guy, right? right? So I was like, let me meet with Misa. Let me meet with some right, like some of the right people and try to like move some things forward. And Misa was really interested in a couple things. One was like getting more trees put in and, but one was like dealing with waste in a better way and trying to actually do some recycling and actually do some separation of waste. Cause at the time, you know, whatever bins people put out, they all went to the same dump that was just a little bit outside of Puerto. So like, it was a lot, you know, like any recycling that was happening was actually kind of more like pho recycling, which happens all over the world, right? Like <laughs> you see that, mm-hmm. like, you know, there's like two holes that's it. One says like plastic and one says organics. And like you open the thing <laughs> below it and it's like one trash can. You're like, okay, great. Right. Wonderful. So that, that was kind of what 
was happening in uh, in Puerto in general. And I was like, you know, there, and there's just so much single-use plastic. And La Punta specifically, like the entire neighborhood of La Punta is like two blocks from the beach. It's like on a huge beach. It's a beautiful surf break that, you know, people play volleyball on every night. It's just a really paradise place. It really is. So so mm-hmm. when you walk the streets and you see like plastic bottles all over on the on the side, on the streets and wherever, like we're on the beach, it just feels like, man, like we got to figure out how to take care of this. So that, that was just kind of where it started. And then had the, we had these meetings and basically what we ended up doing is we started working with some of the local businesses and I, and I built, we actually had a, a day where we had a bunch of volunteers kind of show up and help out where we built collection points to collect single use plastic. And we put like big signs on that say solo botellas de plastico. So it's like only plastic bottles is what we're collecting here. I, I go around and clear those out every Monday and bring them to our major collection point. And then we have a third party partner called Hungla Plastica who comes and clears it. I just kind of send my buddy Jesus over there a text. I'm like, hey, all the bins are full. So he comes through with his big truck and clears them out. And then basically Hungla Plastica sells them back to an organization in Oaxaca City that sort of puts them back into the top of the production cycle. So instead of that plastic going to the dump or ending up in the ocean or, or the, you know, and the dump gets set on fire randomly sometimes. So it's like instead of it like burning in the dump or or choking a sea turtle or whatever you know like wherever the plastic's not supposed to be it kind of feels like that's where it was ending up before so now we're just trying to capture as much as we can of it and and do the right thing with it and so these local businesses is kind of that's where the mini collection points are we actually just built it we built if you look at that uh that instagram post too like one of the things we got done over that over those few days was we built five new collection points so we're just trying to expand our efforts and get more people involved i really want to expand more into like hotels and hostels as well because there's a lot of single use plastic being used there too but basically yeah we're just trying to do a better job with with the single use plastic and get as many people involved as we can i don't know just kind of take take better care of this of this little patch of paradise that we all get to wake up in every day in puerto because it's so beautiful and it's it's like i feel like it's the kind of place that really calls you to action it's like you love this place like yeah of course you do like do you think it's beautiful yeah of course you do so like what are we doing about it <laughs> like right. let's try to let's try to figure <laughs> let's try to figure out how to keep it that way because it really is also like having its moment like the the tourism and the amount of people coming to puerto like almost every month now is like going up there used to be like high season and low season and now it just sort of feels like constantly high season and mm-hmm. like from from like my balcony in la punta i can see eight new restaurants that weren't there when I moved there a year and a half ago. So it really is like if that helps paint the picture of like how fast the development is, you know, being turned up, it's it's really it's it's having a moment. Yeah, like people are discovering it and it there's a reason I moved there, you know, like there's there's a reason. It's a really a lovable place and um so I don't know. Yeah, it's it's basically just called me to try to help take care of the future. And then also these younger kids that were in town from from the UK, they were in Puerto for about 6 months and they're filmmakers. They I think they actually interviewed me first just because they heard I was like trying to collect this loose plastic. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of put them onto some other people and they interviewed like all the right people basically. They went to like Jesus at Hungla Plastica. Like Jesus has been working on this issue for like seven years, right? So they, they found the people that have even been doing more way longer than I have, right? And people that work for, you know, diff- different organizations kind of fighting the waste issue, the development issue. And they put together this really, really powerful 20-minute documentary um, mm-hmm. that you should totally, totally look up if you can. Or I can send you the link and you can try to link it in the show notes or whatever. But the YouTube, the group is called The Outlaws. They have a different name for the YouTube video. I can find it, but it's called like Paradise in Trouble or, uh, yeah, uh, I don't know. I, Paradise I can, in I can, Crisis, yep. Paradise um, in Crisis, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. No, yeah, I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up actually because I, I just watched that yesterday. And yeah, to your point, it's a it's a very powerful 20-minute documentary. Yeah. So I will definitely link it in the show notes. So anyone listening, urge all of you to check that out. It is It is a very good documentary and very eye-opening for sure. I love so much of what you just said there too, like just. I commend you so much for the work that you do, and it's it's truly so, you know so important to do uh, to protect our planet for sure. And with environmental consciousness in mind, and speaking of taking action, what you mentioned previously, what are some of the best tips you have for anyone out there listening to make a difference in their community and to be less wasteful? It's a good question. I think I mean like first like look at 
what you're own what you're doing yourself. I do mm-hmm. al- always say though too, I don't think it's helpful to like beat yourself up for every paper towel you use or like if somebody mm-hmm. gives you a straw and you use it and then you're like, oh no, I used a straw. Like I don't know. Like <laughs> I think all you all you can do is like do your best and also try to like set a good example. But mm-hmm. like it is not us as individuals fault that we're in the situation we're in. It's like the system that got set up and the corporations like mm-hmm. like Coca-Cola funds one of the one of the uh, like environmental groups in Puerto called Mares Limpios and like Mares Limpios I think are doing good things but their whole thing is funded by Coca-Cola and I'm just like ah man they're the reason we're in this problem so <laughs> I don't know so just looking at that stuff and and then like for people traveling too it, it, it hurts me every time in my in like my heart when I'm like go to the corner store to buy a beer the sun's setting and there's some tourist in there buying like four bottles of water I'm just like yeah. why don't you just get a water bottle bro and then you fill up your water bottle when you run out of water instead of buying a new thing that's going to be garbage every half an hour like and you know it's like it's hot in puerto like people are sweaty you need water to survive so i'm not like mad at people for surviving but mm-hmm. i just think you've got to be a little more thoughtful and, and do better and i'll just make this point real quick but one thing that i'm working on too right now is there are these things called eco filtros and they're basically like a clay pot that you put water from your sink and it runs through the clay pot and it comes out the bottom um as potable water as water that you can drink and most people know if you travel in Mexico, you got to be careful not to drink the water out of the tap because it has just different bacteria and things that mm-hmm. that mess your stomach up. So plastic is, you know, the thing that most people use to get around that. Like it's it goes through a water plant or whatever and comes out in plastic bottles or plastic garrafons. But there's this there's this technology called ecofiltros that's way more natural, but doesn't use any plastic really. And the water comes through the clay pot, comes out drinkable. So I'm really trying to push now on like all my friends that own businesses and cafes and hostels and restaurants to just put ecofiltros everywhere so that if you are a tourist walking around the streets of Puerto, you will figure out in half an hour that you don't really need to buy any more water bottles. You can just keep the one that's in your hand and fill it up in any of the ecofiltros you find. And hopefully if you make them ubiquitous enough where they're like, you know, every 20 feet down the street at every cafe and every restaurant, it'll just, without even having to tell people that, they'll make that own mental, their, their own mental association and they'll come to that conclusion on their own that's like, oh, hey, I don't need to keep buying water. I can just fill this up because this town has set it up so that there's water everywhere that I can drink for free. And mm-hmm. that's that's the next thing I'm trying to do just so I don't have to have that reaction at every every time I'm at a tienda and some, some <laughs> new tourist is like buying all the plastic there. I'm going to be like, <laughs> stop doing that, man. Like there's, there's eco filters set up everywhere. So just fill up your water bottle. And honestly, if you're going out traveling, you don't have like a Nalgene or a Hydro Flask or whatever other companies make these water bottles that last 10 years or more, mm-hmm. you're messing up. Buy, buy a water bottle. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what it is, man. Sometimes I think people think it's like cooler to drink like plastic water bottles because like Evian and Fiji and like they all try to make it seem like cool to drink these expensive ass water. <laughs> like, just buy a freaking water bottle. Like you're ruining the planet. You don't look cool. To me, you look like just some like thoughtless... I don't know, a person that doesn't give a shit. Like, so I don't know. Like, I, I think about that a lot too, just like how, how every individual person, like if you don't have a water bottle, that's the one thing you drink water out of all the time, you're, you're, you're messing up. Like, No, I, I agree completely. And I think I even saw that on one of your blog posts too. You got a, a photo of your water bottle that's been very yeah. weathered and, and stuff over the years. And yeah, I... I uh yeah I started doing that recently myself. I got a water bottle. I put bumper stickers on it, and to me that's really yeah. cool. It's it's a good talking point. It shows off some of the places I've been, and I I, I urge everyone listening to to do that for sure. <laughs> it's, it's I think this the simplest thing you can do. I think you know to just like be like okay I'm I'm doing something that's that's contributing. And yeah, mm-hmm. listen, that's that water bottle, man. That's that's my trusty <laughs> water bottle. I'm still with it, baby, all the time, man. And like you know, if I think about like I've had this exact water bottle covered in stickers now in front of me. 
for, I think I've had this one for like five years. I think like mm-hmm. if I just didn't have this water bottle and every day I drank single-use plastic and then threw the bottle away every time I needed water, I drink a ton of water. So say it's like three bottles a day, three times five years. That's like, you're almost like 2,000 water bottles, you know, like you just, you multiply it times people and, and you scale it out. Like it is, it's just such a simple way to try to do the right thing. And I don't know, I just mm-hmm. think it's like the, the one thing that everybody traveling, every every tourist, everybody, even wherever you live, like just to, to stop buying single-use plastic water bottles at least, like if you're hungover and you need an electrolyte or you need <laughs> a Pedialyte or a Powerade or whatever, like go for it. You know, like I said, like I'm not I'm not somebody that's like never use anything. <laughs> like, I don't know, like, but at the same time, there there are things like that where you just get yourself a water bottle that lasts five, 10 years and like you're on the way to doing things that are more helpful towards our future. Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I couldn't agree more. And now something I wanted to touch on real quick that I believe you briefly mentioned previously is that you have some uh, land development projects in, in the works. And mm-hmm. um, I apologize in advance if I butcher any of these names. And please correct me if I'm wrong with the pronunciations. But uh, on the Oaxacan coast and one is in La Puta Ciacatela mm-hmm. and one in El Portocito. And are those yep. separate endeavors to the work you do with plastic recycling? I guess could you explain those projects a little bit? Yeah, so the plastic recycling is all just stuff that I do because I love um, and because I'm not traditionally employed right now, so I have the time mm-hmm. and energy. I should point that out too. If people are like, how does this guy do all this stuff? Like, I don't know. I don't have a nine to five. I like, I, right. I, I wake up and kind of do whatever I feel called to do every single day. Luckily, I'm pretty self-motivated. So I keep myself really busy and I set an alarm, even though nobody's asking me to set an alarm, right? Like I'm just that kind of person. <laughs> but so the, yeah, the one project in Puerto, or the one project in La Punta, which is a neighborhood of Puerto Escondido, that that project is like the one I spent my entire life savings on essentially because La Punta is really having its moment. Like I said, that's the place that's like growing quickly and it's attracting a lot of attention. Like Kanye West came to Puerto recently, you know, like it's mm-hmm. it's a place that's really kind of becoming more and more known on the international travel map and more people are trying to stay like in, in the higher seasons, like every single bed in La Punta is booked, right? So we want to, mm-hmm. we basically want to build a place that's like a community space that's a co-working, co-living place for digital nomads because the travel company that Marie and I used to both work for, my partner, was a digital nomad travel company so we're really like deeply in, you know in into that community we have a lot of have a lot of connections and friends there so yeah we want to build a place that they're all invited to come stay where you can work you know you can chill by the pool there's the bar you have a nice bed you can you can crash in and th- that's our that's basically like our project to do that make it successful and kind of retire on it like I, you know i think of it as like my moonshot like i don't want to work for anybody else again i want to just mm-hmm. make this project a success and, and retire on it and then the project down the coast it's like 30 minutes down the coast towards mizunte if, if anybody out there listening knows the oaxacan coast mizunte is about an hour towards guatemala from from puerto escondido so east and south basically halfway to mizunte about half an hour from puerto is this magical little fishing village called el puertecito that we just happened to see some land in and and that was for sale also i should point out luckily my, my girlfriend's mexican so like acquiring this land was just pretty easy because we could just put it in her name and I could, you know, send her the money. So we bought this land actually with a bunch of friends, like a bunch of staff members from the travel company I used to work for. Shout out Remote Year. Um, if anybody else <laughs> out there listening has heard of Remote Year, been hit up by their advertising or whatever, um, they're, they're, they're who, got, who I got my start with in the travel world. And um, a bunch of my closest friends and colleagues from Remote Year, we always used to joke about like starting a commune on the beach somewhere. And then after we saw this piece of land, it was like so affordable that I like hit up my closest group from there. And I was like, hey, you know, like that joke we always said on team calls like we could actually probably do it like do you want to just do it like send me five thousand dollars and we'll do it you know so like we we were able to get a really nice price point and then we've you know collected more money from the group of people there's there's 12 of us involved in the project and so we've collected even more money now and like built a fence put in like plumbing and water we had to dig a well it was actually really cool because there we just bought like a farm field 
So like watching kind of how you turn a farm field into something that's like comfortable and livable, we're still not even there, right? It still feels like you're roughing it when you go out there. It's like camping vibes. But we now we have like access to water. We have a shower. We have we built a kitchen. We have a refrigerator that plugs in, you know, built, made a fire pit. We have we have a really nice sort of like glamping tent, which is where we crash when we go out there now. And basically that's all like the common space of the project. And then in a big circle around the common space is everybody's individual lots. So the, the idea is that someday everybody builds their own little sort of like beach bungalow or cabana and you, you have like your little kind of retirement home in paradise or you know our forever we call it like forever neighbors like we're going to be <laughs> that group of friends will know we'll be connected by this piece of land and and you know be drinking mezcal around the fire till till we're into old age so that's a pretty exciting project it's it's but the difference in spirit i guess between the two is like that one's not a business at all it's just like a friends and family project like my brother bought in um on that project with me so him and i share a lot together and uh the other project is like the one that i hope sustains me financially for, for the next 20 30 years and, and is like a successful business in that sense you know Mm-hmm. Gosh. Oh my gosh. I mean, you definitely have <laughs> so many exciting projects in the works and it's, I, I can't even wrap my head around it. I feel like I could talk to you all day about this kind of stuff. It's just, hey, just man, absolutely I, wild. I keep going. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love God. talking about it too. I, I love talking about, you know, traveling, writing, Oaxaca, Puerto. I mean, it's all, it's all stuff. And honestly, that's like been, you know, I kind of mentioned like after the pandemic hit and my partner Marie and I both got fired from the travel company. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I took like a month or two to reflect on it and like where I was at in life and like where, you know, where we were at as like a society. Cause it was a scary time back then. If you can bring yourself back to those like early months of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. But I, I just remember strongly sort of like, Put, digging my heels in around this feeling of like, I don't think I want to work for anybody else again. Like, I think I can just be scrappy and creative and entrepreneurial and figure it out. And that's sort of like what I've continued to do. So then I worked really hard on getting my book done and I published that. And I was like, okay, that'll be one way I can make a little money. What else can I do? And, you know, just like trying to figure it out. And uh, it's been a really cool adventure to just like figure it out. Also, you know, obviously it helps living in a place where the cost of living is so much less severe, which is one of my favorite things, honestly, about living in Mexico. Like just mm -hmm. how much I spend and how much I earn, like are both so much smaller numbers than than what it would have to be if you if you live in the U.S. Right, so I guess those are all things to think about if you're out there listening and want to make a life change. Is like I, I don't I don't make that much money, but I also come up every year still because my cost of living is so low, and I and I cook my own black beans every week. You know, so mm -hmm. it's just how it's just how you choose to I don't know like what you choose to prioritize and and how you choose to kind of go about designing your own life. And that's really what it's come down to me is like lifestyle design, kind of kind of thinking about that stuff of like what do I want to do when I wake up? What's going to make me feel most alive? What are projects? And, and things that feel like good uses of my time and energy, like the two I just mentioned, like the recycling project. I've been playing a lot more music since I moved to Puerto. So I'm like mm -hmm. in a band where we play twice a week. I also host an open mic night every Thursday in Puerto. That's like basically the biggest event in the entire city now. Like 200 people come to open mic every Thursday and it's totally crazy. And it's like become <laughs> this like famous thing where people are like, you're the guy from open mic. My friend in New York told me about that. I'm like, okay, like that's <laughs> wild. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. It's just all these different things though that make me feel hella inspired and I don't know I, I, I just I feel like I'm, I'm kind of building the airplane as it flies to, to steal that expression but <laughs> but it's still flying and I don't know the view the view is great from up here basically it's, it's been fun it's been good God, no, I, I'm getting so inspired from this conversation. I mean, no, I, I admire you so much for just living life on your terms and just kind of making that conscious decision that, you know, that you don't want to work for anyone else anymore. You want to, you know, do these passion projects, do these things that you're really excited about that get you excited to wake up in the morning and to just, mm -hmm. you know, live a life that's full of purpose. And it, it's, I feel like you're definitely the embodiment of that. And I, I commend you so much for it because it's, uh, gosh, that's, <laughs> I don't even have the words. That's so inspirational. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. Yeah, and like, I mean, I guess just to like leave a last thought with the listeners, like, mm -hmm. and I, I really, I really credit 
like travel for giving me that feeling because you know like as you're traveling and especially if you make it long term like those first four years that I traveled solo like all the stories through my book basically it's like I had to reinvent like my social circle what I was doing for like you know work or how you know how I was being productive just like getting comfortable with a new environment like that sense of just like knowing that in the end like you can figure it out and you'll be fine I used to say like you you know you could drop me out of a helicopter anywhere in the world with like a guitar and a bicycle and a macbook and like i'll figure it out i'll be fine i'll make new friends i'll get a job i'll, I'll be i'll be sweet i didn't have that feeling before i started traveling right like obviously that mm -hmm. came from years and years of of showing myself again and again and proving to myself again and again that i will always be fine and i will always land on my feet and that is the most empowering shit in the world right like that is what yeah. travel gives people so at this point now i really do have the sense of like whatever it is whatever idea i get passionate about or fired up about you know i'll ask the right people to help me and and i'll, I'll do it I'll, I'll make it happen so i don't mm -hmm. know I, I give travel all the credit for that mindset of just like when you when you put your mind to it you go for it and you make it happen and, and you trust yourself that you'll land on your feet and that, and that definitely comes from from just getting lost in the world yeah no oh my gosh i would agree completely i think there's a really strong parallel there with with traveling and and overall just getting out of your comfort zone because i feel like the yeah. They're, they're totally. connected with one another because whether you're physically getting out of your comfort zone, being in a new environment, or you're getting out of your comfort zone with just a new venture, a new idea. And mm -hmm. yeah, to your point, I mean, I don't think you have to have everything figured out. You just have to kind of, you know, know the rough ideas, know the right people, kind of get the ball rolling. You just got to yep. start essentially. And then you kind of yep. figure it out along the way and I guess build the, build the airplane as it flies. It says, <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> now, I was joking with some friends like about the earth day stuff, you know, like, mm -hmm. Like, I figured out where the trash, like, who was going to deal with the trash we collected, like, kind of, like, the day it was happening. Like, I remember, like, messaging our new delegado and being like, hey, man, I'm, we're collecting all this trash for Earth Day, da, da. And I was like, man, I remember thinking, like, if I would have been the type of organizer and planner that was like, no, I need, like, written confirmation that the garbage is going to be taken to the right place by the <laughs> official authorities before I start advertising that we're putting together Earth Day plans. Like, Earth Day just would not have happened in, in La Punta. Like, it just wouldn't have happened. But mm -hmm. I, I just, like, have this sense of, like, optimism and, and like, doggedness of let's just do it and so i don't know it really it can it can get you like a little bit you know, like twisted upside down sometimes but it's also i think one of my kind of like superpowers at this point where like if i just am sure that's going to happen and let's just go for it it usually does work out that way and then and all the dust settles and all the things sort of take care of themselves and in the end like our delegado came in his cousin's truck and took all the bags to the dump himself and was like i got you bro so i'm like yes yeah. that's how this community works like everybody pick up everybody help out you know <laughs> so but yeah just to say like i don't know sometimes you don't need to have everything like every I dotted and every T cross and everything perfectly organized before you say, okay, let's green light this and go for it. Like sometimes mm -hmm. you just got to start going for it and, oh, and yeah. then trust it, you know, like trust it'll work out. Oh yeah. I, I agree completely. And I, I, I definitely try to embody that mentality as much as I can too, because, and I've come to realize too, even if, um, even if you try to do all the preparation and all the research that you possibly can, there are still going to be things that come up that surprise you and catch you off guard. So might as well get started and then just roll mm -hmm. with the punches anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly exactly oh my gosh i i feel like Pos i'm not even scratching the surface oh yeah <laughs> that's how that's how they say it in, in especially it's like step by step possibly possible yeah gosh i feel like i'm not even scratching the surface with all the interesting stories and content we can get into but i guess uh with everything that we've talked about in mind is there anything i forgot to ask about that you wanted to touch on before we get into plugins and everything 
No, man, this has been a pleasure, man. It's great to chat to you. And I think we did talk about a lot of the interesting stuff that I have done that I'm currently doing. And uh, obviously, there's like way more detail in the book or mm-hmm. on my medium. I'm trying to publish to my medium a lot more, more this year. So like that article you mentioned about eight ways to say you're American without saying you're American while traveling <laughs> went kind of viral. And then I just wrote one too called eight annoying as fuck things new travelers do that, that also went pretty viral because I think it really hit home to people. The, the number one on that list is pointing out how there's too many travelers all the time. Like I just find it mm-hmm. so crazy. I'm like, do you want me to show you a mirror bro because like you're a traveler and you're gonna complain about how there's too many travelers like what are you talking about man so i don't know like i i I always try to like you know take the observations and things that i think are interesting and i'll put them in a phone note and then eventually turn them into like a full fully formed blog or whatever so yeah i'm just still trying to put out content and write for write you know interesting things that connect to people out there so if you're interested in any of it it'll hopefully be pretty easy to find in the show notes and and these last Mm -hmm. little plugs here but there's a lot more you can you can, I don't know, like you can take from this conversation if you want to read the book or read some of these blogs. Oh, yeah, definitely. Gosh. Yeah, like I said, I'm, I'm definitely not even scratching the surface with all the interesting stuff we could be talking about and, and content. But I'm going to le- definitely leave that to the listeners to follow uh, the links in the yeah. show notes to read more about you and stuff because, God, you're such an interesting person with so many different projects and, and facets going on. And oh, my gosh. Yeah, I can't even wrap my head around that. Even when I was formulating questions, I was like, how am I even going to approach this interview? It's like, there's so <laughs> many directions this can go in. I really don't even know. <laughs> like, Where do we start, man? All right. I, 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 uh, I think you did a great job. Man. We, we covered a lot of ground. So you oh, for job. sure. <laughs> I, yeah, I agree. Awesome. Well, sounds good. Well, I guess on that note, uh, where can people find more information about yourself, your book, the plastic recycling program, the land development program, all the 10,000 things that you're doing right now? <laughs> <laughs> one would be yeah, thanks. One, one would be Instagram, like you mentioned. I'm just Travis King Travels at Instagram, so you can find me there. And then I linked my my book has its own Instagram. Um, the Remote Work Consultancy that I help run with my buddy Jason has has a link on there, so you can find more about me there. Um, and also my website should be linked there. And that's a good place to start too, which is just TravisWKing.com. So you can find me pretty easily with that. That obviously has a lot of links as well to my blog mm-hmm. on Medium, like I mentioned. And then there's links all over my website to, to take you to my Amazon book page. Uh, my book, yeah, sells basically through Amazon. It comes in hard hard copy paperback and um, ebook. I'm working on an audiobook this year. I really want to be the one that you know does it. That, that so it's my voice, but it's been mm-hmm. hard. It's been hard to it's been hard to actually get it accepted by Audible. They have really like high standards of quality. So that's kind of mm-hmm. what I'm trying to work through to, to get it all accepted by audible and get it up and live but anyway that that should yeah start with the instagram or actually start with the website start with <laughs> traviswking.com um and that'll take you to all the right places and uh yeah thanks i mean anybody out there listening that does go ahead and, and check the website or, or order the book really thank you in advance it's i think i always tell people the book is the best thing i've done in my 38 years on this planet i poured my heart into that thing and i wrote it for four years and uh yeah i i'm, I'm very proud of it so <laughs> go check it out Oh, for sure. Yeah. No, I, I hope if if the listeners get anything from this conversation, I just hope they really pick up your book uh, and, and give it a read. I mean, myself included, I'm holding myself accountable for that, too, because I, I really feel like it's something I'm going to dig my, you know, just really dig into and, and really just absolutely love. I can already tell. But no, I mean, once again, Travis, thank you so much for this con- for this conversation, taking time for this. I, like I said before, I think the, the life you live and the work you do is truly inspirational and keep up the awesome work with all the programs that you're doing. And definitely a big shout out to Walt at Walt's Kitchen Table Podcast for getting us in touch with one another to have this amazing yeah. conversation because without him, none of this would be possible. So, uh, Walt, you're a great guy. I hope you listen to this. <laughs> Yeah, f- funnily, funnily enough, you know, I mentioned I'm back at my parents. Like Walt is is the nicest dude and sent me some swag. So like I'm wearing a Walt's oh, kitchen really? table tank top right now as we're speaking. I, I found it in my parents' basement because you know he. I was like, you can send it to me in Mexico. And he's like, I'll just ship it to your folks' place. So he sent it to my parents, and not, yeah, I just, I just got it today when I when I got back home to my parents' house. So 
There we go. Shout out Walt, man. Man, this this just all went full circle, but uh Right? Oh, yeah. Oh my gosh. But yeah, Travis, I wish you nothing but the best in all of your future projects and endeavors. I hope we keep in touch and I hope uh Jedediah Jenkins gets back with you after this uh conversation about Come on, it. Jed! I, I know I, man, it is like, you know it's like that feeling like I know if he read my book he'd be like, Holy shit, this dude and I like you need to be friends. Oh yeah. And, like, he would probably support it, but it's just, I don't know. I'm sure he gets all types of requests like this, so it's not like I'm actually mm-hmm. upset with him. It's like I just, like, want to figure out a way to, like, talk to the right person to whisper in his ear and just be like, yo, actually check out this guy's book. So, I don't know. We'll see. There's t- time will tell. Maybe 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 he'll do right in the end. Who knows? Yeah. Oh, for sure. Actually, I, I'm going to end on this really quick story my brother just told me yesterday, actually, and it just popped in my head and made me think of this. But I'm forgetting the, the full context of the story, and I'm sure I'm butchering it. And it but in short, there's this, uh, there's this violin player that played along the along in a subway station he played this amazing you know uh orchestra type symphony performance like in the subway that um and he got 30 dollars for his performance he had you know like a little tip jar thing sitting out there and he got 30 dollars for standing out there doing it but what's nuts is that he did that exact same performance i want to say like you know at, at one of these procedures events maybe even like a, at like a at like a new york event or something like that and it, it mm-hmm. tickets the cheapest tickets you could find were like 150 dollars a ticket so like it really puts things in perspective it was the exact same performance just in different medias and and uh, formats but it just wasn't you know it didn't have that same yeah. effect because it was in a subway station type thing and it just really made me think of that that story because you know in the right hands in the right context you never know what can yeah. happen i mean you know I definitely butchered this story, but I think you get the basic idea of what I was trying to say. While the story of violinist Joshua Bell was more of a social experiment pointing out what we may be missing in our everyday lives, it's still an interesting story regardless. A link to the full story can be found in the show notes. Totally. And we're, and we're living in this age where, like, especially with the creative mediums, like, if you're an amazing musician or amazing rapper, like, you can mm-hmm. put your stuff out on SoundCloud and it could be discovered. Or if you're a great writer, you can self-publish a book on Amazon and, like, hope that the right people find it someday. So we're, we're living in an interesting oh, yeah. time where you don't have to go through, like, sort of, like, the old-timey, old-school... Um, I don't know, like the corporate way of like how things used to work with with creative arts, like music and writing and, and everything else. So it is a kind of fun time to be to be somebody that identifies in those fields and wants to be known mm-hmm. and, and wants to dabble and put stuff out. Because you know, people have bought my book in Japan. Like you know, it's it's just cool. Like <laughs> you can you can kind of put stuff out there and just hope the world receives it well. And and that's kind of where I'm at. Oh, for sure. Gosh, I know. Like even just this podcast. I mean, I've only been doing this a little over a year and, you know, I've got people in in multiple countries, you know, writing reviews, giving me positive praise for it. Like people I've never would have been in contact with otherwise. It's it's such a truly open world we're living in. It's nuts. You know what I mean? Yeah. um, Yeah. Aren't those the best messages too? Like anybody reading my book, especially if I don't know them, like if they're not a friend of mine and they send me like a screenshot of like, yo man, the same thing happened to me or wow, this, I didn't think anybody would ever be brave enough to admit this in writing or anything like that. I'm like, holy (laughs) shit. Like those are the best messages you can ever get <laughs> oh i know it's it's insane um and, and you know definitely not trying to toot my own horn or anything like that but like literally like i look at like the analytics of my podcast and then like i literally thought it was like a glitch sometimes with like the amount of downloads i've been getting lately i was like that's a that's a big jump it's like some, did something happen did something go wrong yeah, or man. something like that did it like but no something it's, went it's right something went right that's <laughs> <man. laughs> it's like the immediate thought i had was like doubt i was like well, all right what happened here like what yeah. <laughs> what, what messed up no but anyway <laughs> 
<laughs> this is this is just oh, an awesome answer. conversation, Travis. I uh, I appreciate it so much. But no, like I said before, I wish you nothing but the best in all of your future projects. I hope you keep in touch, and I hope you have a good rest of your day. You too, man. Yeah, let's stay in touch, and uh, yeah, I'll go back into your archive and listen to some of your other episodes too, because you're a great host, and uh, I hope you the best of luck for your show as well going forward and finishing all 50 states with your marathon, man. You got to do it. Got to stick to it. Oh, thank you, thank you, man. No, I I really appreciate it. I I'm going to be going to Louisville in a few days to knock out another state. So. Slowly but surely, it's a, I'm making progress with it. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, well yeah, done. Yeah, awesome. Sounds good, man. Anyway, yeah, have a good rest of your day, and uh, yeah, take care. You too. Thank you so much for tuning in and checking out the show. Links to Travis's website, that powerful 20-minute documentary Paradise and Crisis we briefly talked about, and other resources can be found in the show notes. If you like what you heard, please make sure to subscribe and leave a review for Juxtapose Journeys wherever you stream your podcasts, and maybe tell a friend or two about the show. Any feedback is always welcome and appreciated, and helps the show reach more listeners. It also keeps new episodes coming out. If you're an entrepreneur creator, or live an interesting lifestyle, send an email to juxtaposedjourneys at gmail.com with a brief description for a chance to be featured in an upcoming episode. Or you can find Juxtaposed Journeys on Podmatch and request an interview that way. The Juxtaposed Journeys logo was designed by Darius Norwood. The website was designed by Elise Benner, and music has been provided by Young Pioneer. Editing for this episode was done by Kai Will. Final mixing and interviews are conducted by yours truly, Eric Spitz. Thank you for listening, and remember to never stop exploring.